Great to have those of you watching online and also those who are watching, listening on Hope FM. Last, last Sunday, we had the second week of what we call Rooted for those who are coming into church life, finding out more about the church. And one of our, one of our new African friends said this. He stood up and he said, you really should be telling us more often about how to give. And I said, I, I smiled, I said to him, I have never heard an English person say something like that. It was a very African thing. It was a lovely thing to hear. Thank you, those of you from other nations who are helping to transform this place. So I said, even people will ask, tell us how to give more often. Well, I've got help for you today. I've got help for our African friend and for everybody here. At the start of these two gift weeks, I am here to help. And you've, you've heard some of the things that our gift weeks are going to go towards, things that we're looking to invest in. And let's be honest, this year, as well as like the cafe here, much of it is going to be invested in our Southbourne congregation, which is an absolute joy. I'm there about every other week, and it's been an absolutely fantastic journey. I want to tell you, for the, especially for those of you in this congregation in Bournemouth, I want to tell you about some of our friends, some of your friends, some of your family in the Southbourne congregation who have brought joy to us over the last couple of years. You saw Martin and Nisa. Martin became a Christian uh, through Citygate. He's come to love Jesus, follow Jesus. They are both now serving in the youth. They're an absolute joy. John and Joe, who we're sending off to Zambia in a few months' time, they're part of the Southbourne congregation. It has done them good to be at Southbourne congregation. I want to tell you about an older couple, possibly the most encouraging couple I have ever come across, Bill and Doreen. Every Sunday when I was there, they would encourage me. They had been part of the older congregation that had been there, and it hadn't been easy for them, particularly our songs. You know, <laughs> a few more hymns would have gone down well, but they loved the life that they saw happening there, and every week would encourage me. We buried Bill in February because he died. Doreen is still there, and let me tell you, she is just as encouraging as ever. Let me tell you about a guy called Mark, who's in our Southbourne congregation. He'd been following Jesus for a while, but had never yet found a church where he felt comfortable. He has now found a church where he feels comfortable at Citygate Southbourne. Let me tell you about a young lad called Joe who has been serving away. Sometimes he's serving far too much on the PA and so on. Really, we need others to help. But he has been an absolute blessing and is growing through his service. Let me tell you about John and Roz. Literally absolute heroes at Citygate Southbourne. They were part of the old church that has shut down and they have stuck with us. I suspect they may also be saying a few more hymns, please. But they have stuck in Serving at Little Acorns, the Thursday parent and toddler group, absolutely fantastic. The fun days that Zach and Sarah uh, talked about. Let me tell you about David, a guy who's come along recently. He's been a Christian for years, but he has been out of church for over two decades and has now found a place where he feels like, I can belong here. 
It's absolutely wonderful. And let me tell you about another guy who 10 days ago became a follower of Jesus at Zach and Sarah's Life Group. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? I could tell you many other stories at Citygate Southbourne. Lives are being transformed every day across the bay. And of course, we could readily recount loads of stories from this congregation too. Whichever of the two congregations that we currently have that you're part of, Citygate Bournemouth or Citygate Southbourne, you are part of Citygate Church. And we are absolutely determined to keep working and praying that Jesus will build us into this kind of a church. How about these? A church where the Bible is obeyed as God's word and our highest authority. Anybody with me? A church where we passionately worship God because he is worthy of all our praise. A church where rich and poor, black and white, young and old are united as one family in which all are valued and all can flourish. Anybody up for that? A church where guests are amazed at the welcome they receive and astonished at the God they encounter. A church where the wider community are glad that we exist because of the way God is blessing people in BCP through us. A church devoted to mission, seeing many more people come to love and trust Jesus. That's what we're going for, that kind of a church. God is building it. He will build it. So on behalf of the elders and every leader in Citygate, thank you for everything that each of you invests into God's kingdom being extended through Citygate. For every act of service, seen and unseen, for every expression of care, most of which goes unnoticed by most, and every sacrificial demonstration of love and every penny and pound given but here's the thing we haven't finished yet because God hasn't finished with us yet because he hasn't finished building his kingdom yet and until Jesus returns God has a plan and that's to extend his kingdom through the agent that is his people and that means specifically on these two gift weeks that we haven't yet finished our journey of growing into kingdom people who give generously. I'm going to read you from 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you might like to get it out. It will appear on the screen if you haven't got one. This is a passage Timothy writes, sorry, Paul writes to this uh, young leader, Timothy. In the first section I'm going to read, he's addressing the poor those who would like to get rich. In the second section, he's addressing those who are rich. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17. Command those who are rich, he's addressed the poor, those, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I would say that if the Bible is not regularly comforting you and challenging you deeply, you're not reading it right. And these six characteristics that we've been looking at in the last few weeks, today and the next couple of weeks, kingdom people who are characterized by trusting God, growing, relating, sharing and multiplying are deeply provoking and deeply challenging. But may I suggest, particularly in our culture, in this culture, none of them is more challenging of those characteristics than today's characteristic. People who give generously because we've received so much on the basis of God's lavish grace. And in the New Testament, I would say there are two particularly well-known passages in which Paul, who wrote much of what we know as the New Testament, addresses our attitudes to finances, to giving, to money. And in one of those passages, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he's commending some Greek churches who in their extreme poverty, he says, have been full of joy that they have been able to contribute to the Jerusalem church that is going through a particular time of need. Not because they were wealthy, but out of their extreme poverty, he says, welled up this joy in giving. And then secondly, this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is giving advice on a whole bunch of things to a younger leader who's in a pretty tough situation. And he outlines a range of things you are to teach and insist on at the beginning of chapter 6, he says. And one of those things you are to teach and insist on is right attitudes to money and material possessions. There is no area that the gospel doesn't impact us. You cannot compartmentalize the Christian life. There are various parts of my life that I can compartmentalize. I can be involved in it, I can put it down, and move on to another area of life. You cannot do that with the Christian faith. The Christian faith permeates every single Without exception, every single area of our lives. But I would dare to say that the implications of the gospel are possibly most challenging in relation to a few especially sensitive subjects. Things like these. Marriage and singleness. 
Things like forgiveness. Things like suffering. And perhaps most of all, money. I remember an old pastor, this is a number of decades ago, saying that in his long, decades-long experience of ministry, he was absolutely convinced that it was easier to talk to someone about their sex life than about their money. That's what it's like in our Western culture. For all the talk and openness about many things, there are some things where the gospel lands with great cost. John Wesley, an 18th century famous preacher of the gospel, said this, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. (laughs) You might be able to identify. The degree to which our wallet has been converted is one sure indicator of the extent to which Jesus has or has not conquered our hearts. And let's be brutally honest, that feels all the more provoking at present. Not a day goes by without new headlines about the implications of our current financial crisis which is really severe. And not a day goes by without numbers of you seriously, personally facing a financial crisis. In all that context, what might God be saying to us through his word in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Loads of things, I'll give you some. Firstly, beware the temptation and trap. It's an interesting passage, and there's a downward spiral really going on in verse 9. The warning in verse 9 is to those who are not rich but want to be rich. So Paul writes this, those who want to get rich, watch the spiral, fall into temptation and a trap, and then into many foolish and harmful desires. And then that plunged people into ruin and destruction. That's quite severe, isn't it, don't you think? Why would he be so harsh? Well, he's not being harsh. Why is he presenting this truth so bluntly? Because the very next verse, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil which has been one of surely the most misquoted verses ever in history. Not money itself, but the love of money. Not the root, but a root. Not of all evil, but of all kinds of evil. Money is the root, a root of all. The love of money is a root of all. I'm actually really encouraged, because that means you're listening. And you, you noticed my deliberate slip. That really worked well. I'm really pleased I planned that in like that. (laughs) He says that the love of money will mean people fall into temptation. That word here, temptation, is something that seeks 
to pull you away from being satisfied in God with the goal of causing you to trust it rather than God. That's what temptation wants to do in any area of life, really. It's not just to do bad things. It's a desire pull for something other than God, to trust something other than God. If I have this, I will be satisfied. Hang on a minute. God is the one who satisfies. That's what temptation does. And the love of money, the desire to be rich, has that effect. Which he then says will trap them. That word trap is an interesting word. It's technically used for a, as a snare for animals. Animals who in their desire for food will find themselves in a trap set by the trapper. There's, a, there's such a thing as the monkey trap. Have you ever heard of the monkey trap? The monkey trap is a well-known illustration and a real thing. In some nations, they might hollow out a coconut. They'll hollow it out at one end with food that the monkey loves in the middle. And the hole that they make in the end of the coconut is just big enough for the monkey's hand to get in. But as soon as the monkey is holding the stuff, it cannot get its hand out. And the monkey is not bright enough. I mean, they're relatively intelligent, but not bright enough to let go of the food. It's love of food for which it has been tempted becomes a trap. And it will rather hold the food and get caught seriously than release the food and escape. That is what the love of money can do. The desire to hold on to wealth will become a trap. Greed... The love of money, the desire to get rich and keep it all, I would suggest to you is a secret sin in the church. If if we were to be super honest, by the way, no hands up for any of this. If we were to be super honest, some here would acknowledge that they are struggling with temptation and getting caught in a trap of lust. Others might say, yeah, I've got caught in a trap of alcohol or anger or bitterness or dishonesty at work or swearing or whatever it happens to be. But I bet you no one in this room, super honest though we might be, would admit, yep, I've fallen for greed, the love of money. I've become trapped by the desire to be rich, which is perhaps why Jesus says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Perhaps particularly in a culture like Western Europe, greed is a very subtle thing. And while other sins, temptations, traps might be very blatant and in your face, this one perhaps is far more subtle. No one thinks I am a greedy person, loving money, and I'm trapped. Now, giving into God's kingdom, month by month, and giving into God's kingdom in these gift weeks is good for me. Did you hear that? I dare to say it is good for me. 
It is good for me because it keeps me from falling into greed. It keeps me from falling into the temptation to selflessly accumulate around my own little life, to become trapped by tight fitness, fistedness. Giving on a monthly basis, giving in our annual gift weeks, is an opportunity to grow in trusting God and saying, God, you satisfy, you are enough. I can open my hand and not hold so tightly. And the temptation and the trap are relevant wherever you are on the financial scale. Tim Keller said, wisely, money can poison your life, whether by its absence or its presence. Is there anybody who doesn't feel like, if I just had a a bit more, disposable income, I'd be content. You might be, if we were to draw a line on a financial scale, extremely poor and content, or extremely poor and very frustrated and wanting to get rich. Or you might be way up here, very rich and content, or very rich and still desirous of getting rich. Wherever you are, on the scale. And let's be honest, Western culture is tempting us all the time, you and me, all the time, to believe that more stuff equals contentment, more stuff equals fulfillment. And of course, in the great narrative of Western culture, fulfillment is the point of life, of course. Your self discovery, your happiness, that you get more of the world to revolve around you is of course the point of life. Rather, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Imagine, Imagine being truly content with what God has given. That is great gain. Verse 8, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Friends, let me tell you, don't Give in to temptation. Don't fall for the trap of the desire to get rich because it is a trap. And then let's move on. Paul talks about getting rich versus being rich. Get rich versus be rich. So in verse 9, as we've said, it's those who want to get rich, who fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires, plunging people, note that word, plunging people into ruin and destruction. There's only one other time that that word for plunging is used in the New Testament. And it talks about drowning. I'll tell you what it is. Luke chapter 5, Jesus has performed a miracle. They've caught loads of fish. And when they'd let the nets down, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. The same word is used here for being plunged into ruin and destruction. The trap, you see, ends in ruin. 
But let's be very careful and note that Paul doesn't condemn the wealthy for being wealthy. He does not condemn the wealthy for being wealthy. Rather, he commands them, verse 17, to hope in God rather than their resources. And verse 18, he commands them to be rich in a different direction. Command them to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, have a passion for those of you, which let's be honest, is most of us, have a passion not for getting rich, but for being rich. It's the same word, actually, that is used earlier in the negative sense in verse 9. The antidote to falling for the temptation and trap of getting rich is not to shun riches, it's not to hide from it, it's not to become a pauper, it's to be rich. To be rich in good deeds, in generosity, in willingness to share. And whenever you do that, it dethrones the idol of wealth. Every time my tight fist opens and lets go some of my resources, I am dethroning the idol of wealth. That idol that seeks to be worshipped. That idol that is all prevalent in our society. Every time I do that, I dethrone it and I say, no way God can be trusted instead. He is enough. It dethrones the money idol and turns it into a servant for the greater good. Turn the trap into a tool. Imagine for a moment the difference that your large or small acts of generosity could make. When giving, imagine is always a good thing to do. Imagine. Imagine the good deeds, the difference that your giving can make. Imagine the impact of being, verse 18, rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. Imagine the impact that our giving in this gift week is going to have on the community of Southbourne and Tuckton as we enter a new building that's twice the size, got more rooms, got much more capacity, much more prominence. Imagine... Imagine the difference. Imagine the lives that are going to get changed. I read out to you some of them earlier. There are others waiting to be changed. There are others who God has got on his mind, who he will match in his sovereignty with our giving. Doesn't that transform it? Imagine transforms giving. Imagine the cafe being set up in the foyer there. Imagine the students, imagine the others coming to connect with this place and some of them getting on an Alpha course and one day getting baptised down here and becoming part of this church. Imagine, imagine fuels giving. Imagine sending John and Joe back to Zambia where they've, they're very experienced, they've spent time, they've recuperated, they're in a strong position and sending them back. Imagine Zambian lives being changed through... Oh, there's a good sound from someone. We have a Zambian. (laughs) Imagine Zambian lives being affected for Jesus through your giving. 
Here's my prayer. I wonder if you'll make it yours. God, may the resources you've graced me with become a tool in your hand, not a trap to mine. And by the way, that goes for a young person's one pound to a wealthy person's huge amount. I remember reading of a very, very wealthy American who said this, if I hadn't learnt to give from my first dollar, I would never have given from my first million dollars. Let me encourage you, for those who have very little, start somewhere. Build good habits and they will see you through. The young person or students, one pound. I wonder if there's any of this in this room. The book of Acts, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I bet you there were one pounds or whatever they had, a denarius being given in those days. What's highlighted here is extraordinary giving. Those who owned land or houses sold them. There might be some here for whom a pound is genuinely sacrificial. God will bless that. There may be others here who are in between. There may yet be some who God is calling to and saying, land or houses <laughs> for a bigger purpose. Beware the temptation and trap. Be rich rather than get rich. And finally this. In the context of money, finances, resources, it all goes back in the box. Or does it? This writer says this. My grandmother had just gotten out of jail. She was a roll away from the yellow properties. And the yellow properties meant trouble. They were mine. Monopoly. If anybody's wondering what on earth's going on there. And they had hotels. And Gran had no money. She had wanted to stay in jail to avoid landing on my property and having to cough up dough. She didn't have. But she rolled doubles and that meant her bacon was going to get fried. I was a ten-year-old. Sitting at the Monopoly table, I had it all. Money and property, houses and hotels, boardwalk and park palace. U.S. version. I had been a loser at this game my whole life to that point, but today was different as I knew it would be. Today, I was Donald Trump, Bill Gates, Ivan the Terrible. Today, my grandmother was one roll away from the biggest lesson life has to teach. <laughs> grandmother was at her feistiest when it came to Monopoly. She was a gentle and kind soul, but at the Monopoly table, she would still take you to the cleaners. And then one year when I was 10, I spent a summer playing Monopoly every day with a kid named Steve who lived around the corner. Gradually, it dawned on me that the only way to win this game was to make a total commitment to acquisition. No mercy, no fear. What my grandmother had been showing me for so long finally sank in. 
By the fall, we sat down to play. I was more ruthless than she was. My palms were sweaty. I would play without softness or caution. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, inex... He's he's piling it on, isn't he? Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. I can still remember where it happened, at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother. This was the woman who taught me how to play. She was an old lady by now, a widow. She'd raised my mother. She loved my mother as she loved me. And I took everything she had. (laughs) I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give up the last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life. I had won. I was cleverer and stronger and more ruthless than anyone at the table. I was master of the board. But then my grandmother had one more thing to teach me. The greatest lesson came at the end of the game, and here it is. In the words of James Dobson, who described this lesson from Monopoly in playing with his family many years ago, now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all that property, boardwalk and park palace, the railroads and utility companies, all those thousands of dollars, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And so Paul here states the stark but liberating truth. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world in birth and we can take nothing out of it in death. He's quoting two Old Testament verses. Job famously says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. Ecclesiastes, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. But, but, just as Jesus spoke about storing up treasures in heaven... Paul says in verse 19, In this way, through being rich in generosity, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's the wonderful thing. What you give away isn't given away so much as invested now and forever. It doesn't all just go back in the box because every good deed will reverberate into eternity. Every act of generosity will be rewarded. Every time we sacrificially share, God sees to it that people are blessed. Every time you give into the kingdom of God, you are making an investment with maximum returns. Your giving, your regular giving, is enabling God's kingdom to come through Citygate. Your giving to the gift weeks will enable God's kingdom to extend now and reverberate into eternity through many things, including the cafe, 
John and Joe in Zambia, and the new building in Southbourne. When we want to get rich in this life, money becomes a trap. Because like short-sighted monkeys, we cannot let go. However, when we have eyes on, verse 19, the life that is truly life, money becomes a tool for blessing and kingdom extension. In a minute, having said all of that, I'm going to ask you to make two giving-related decisions. Number one, I'm going to ask you to consider regular giving. It may be, for example, that you're not regularly giving at all. And by the way, you are loved. Let's just be clear about this. You are loved in this church whether you give or not, whether you give much or lots, little or much. That doesn't affect our love for you, our regard for you. But you may not yet be giving regularly on a monthly basis. I want to encourage you to start that journey. You may be giving regularly. I want you to consider raising the amount that you give each month. And secondly, about this year's special offerings, these gift weeks. I want to encourage you, with all that we've said from 1 Timothy chapter 6, to give generously in faith and vision. If you're visiting, if this is your first week, you've put your hand up and you said, yes, I'm new. Thank you for the welcome bag. Oh my word, I didn't know I was coming into this. <laughs> Please feel free to relax. If you are visiting today, you are very welcome, our guest here today. I'm also conscious that you may be married and sitting here, and you may be slightly nervous. What's my spouse thinking? You may need to have a quick conversation or you may need to take this away and have a proper conversation and then come next week with your gift. You may need to wisely and courageously work some things out this week so that you can give in faith and confidence and generosity next week. Our Southbourne friends, it's been lovely that you've been able to share with us this morning. They are going, leaving us now for their own uh, song and for their own response. For those of us in the room, don't pick it up yet. Please listen to me first. On the inside of your form, you will find two sides, obviously. One is a reminder. The reminder is for you. Keep it. The other side is a pledge. As a gift week's part, there's a regular giving part. You are welcome to fill them both out. It's not one or the other. You might be doing one or the other. You are welcome to fill both out. Please complete the gift aid section as well. And although I screwed this up in my pocket, don't do that. Because you need, you need to fill out the reminder so that you will have a reminder of what to do with your giving. The rest of all the instructions are on there. Folks, it doesn't all go back in the box. What we give this week, next week, and month by month will reverberate on into eternity, affecting lives who you may never meet until one day you connect the dots in heaven and say, wow, look what God did 
with my small act of obedience. So could we just close our eyes for a moment first? And pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for gracing us so lavishly. Thank you the gospel even puts money in perspective. Thank you, God, that this isn't pressure. This is freedom from temptation and a trap. I pray, God, that just as Paul thanked the Corinthians, I ask that generosity, the joy, the privilege of giving might well up in us. I pray it all in your name and for your glory and the extension of your kingdom. Amen. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a short period of time, if you're ready to do so, to fill out your form. Because in a minute, we're going to have the buckets going or, or bowls going round the rows because we thought, let's do something together and capture this moment. I'm very well aware. Please don't feel worried. Some people will be going away to think about this. That's fine. Some people will know, I know what I'm doing. Come on. Let's get on with it. So take a minute. Fill out your form. If that's what you'd like to do just now. And then in a couple of moments, we will sing and stand. The children, if you've got children, don't worry yet. Um, They will be held on to for a couple of minutes in kids' work.